Welcome to the Two Putt Podcast. Two Putt for Par. Iowa's number one golf podcast. Yeah, but three putt is Snakesville. One part golf. Basically, it comes down to the fact that golf is hard. And one part business. But if it makes money, it makes sense. Mixing business with pleasure, these guys know how to have fun. This is the Two Putt Podcast. That's what we do. Welcome back, Two Putters, to another episode. Uh, it's just the boys in-house tonight. Lee, Jason, how are you guys doing tonight? Things are going really well. Uh, it seems like it's been a long time since we've actually been on here, and it seems like uh, you know, not a lot has happened in the golf world since then, but it seems like it's been a long time since we've been able to catch up. A lot has happened in the world since we talked last. We're definitely living in a little bit different of a, of a place now. Um, I got to uh, get out. I played uh, 18 last uh, Saturday at uh, Copper Creek in Pleasant Hill. Um, played with uh, old Warburg basketball guy, Alan Weaver. Nice. So that, was, that was pretty fun. Alan has turned himself into a pretty good golfer. He played well that day. He was actually – he was two under on the back uh, for a while and then got to that uh, par three, the one where Jason had to chase his putter in the the creek that one time uh, and tripled it. I mean, just played Annie over. Um, I think that's – I honestly shot one over on the back. Like, he's turned himself into a pretty good player. So, um, I still haven't made a putt all year. So – I've hit good putts, but I just cannot get anything to fall. So, yeah, it's uh, it's good to be back. It has felt felt like it's been a while since we've done one of these things. It does feel like it's been a while, and then I was thinking about it, and it wasn't even that we did a Wednesday. It wasn't even a Wednesday, an early recording. And so I don't know why. I don't know why it does, but it, uh, I agree with both of you guys. It feels like it's been a little bit since we've had an opportunity to jump on and and chat it up. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> Does Weaver still wear uh, all the T-Dub stuff? You know, he just had a regular old Nike Nike polo on. He told me he won a set of golf clubs from Golf Galaxy in Omaha several years ago. They called him. He thought it was a spam phone call. Hung up on him. They called him back, and they're like, hey, you won these clubs. And so not only did he win the clubs, but he got to pick out some apparel I was in there too. And he said he did run right to the T-Dub rack and choose the two polos off that. But I think it was just a regular old Nike one on Saturday. That's good. That's good, man. Old oh, Shout out Alan. Has he talked about the pod? Is he, is he a listener? He, he listened to the first one, and then he's like, I forgot about it. Like, come on, Alan. That's not, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. So we'll give him a little pub on here and maybe get him fired up to listen to the rest of them. Absolutely. Get him back on, get him going. So, well, perfect. Um, well, guys, let's jump in. Uh, as Lee, you kind of mentioned a little bit here, uh, crazy times that we're living in um, on the business side of things here. Uh, we're starting to see some more things start to open up, starting to get back to a little bit of normalcy. Um with that being said, obviously, it's, we don't know the total impact and the total fallout of everything that uh, is going on, but we can certainly do our best guess um, as to what we think may or may not happen. Um, one thing, though, real quickly, I was actually rolling through uh, your hood tonight, Lee, and um, observing a little bit of what's going on in Indianola, and 
first was what what are walmart's hours in indianola is it closed already or what it was closed at 6 45 when i went by i was shocked well is it was it both entrances because they only got the one entrance open it was there both. look there was like six cars and it looked like employee cars on the side huh. yeah i don't know weird. i i i can't say i'm like digging into these places uh when they might be closing but i thought it was like some abbreviated hours but i still thought it was like nine o'clock at night i tell you what wasn't closed though was dairy queen that drive-thru was slammed i've heard that like the last couple weeks like you might as well plan on waiting in line for at least a half hour while you're in the drive-thru yeah there was definitely a, a lineup out in the street on that one so obviously these businesses are uh still hopefully turning a little bit of profit but um yeah, I don't know. It's always it's always interesting. It's interesting to see, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens and comes from this. But uh, one of those sides. So, Jason, flipping over to you. Um, obviously, uh, one of the the big things that you guys as um, coaches do is you have an opportunity to coach a lot of camps in the summer. Um, you know, depending on your schedules and stuff. I know some coaches will do a lot more than others, um, but obviously this summer it's a unique situation, and so. One, talk about from a coaching standpoint and obviously being able to go and, and network and, um, you know, hopefully grow your, your career on that side. But then, two, um, obviously those, these are some of the biggest fundraisers uh, that a lot of these programs have. And, and what kind of economic uh, impact is this going to have? Yeah, you know, the camp side of things, uh, strictly, uh, I think everybody kind of was waiting to see what's going to play out here. And as soon as one of the dominoes fell with, you know, some schools canceling, canceling camp uh, I think that everybody kind of reacted to that and uh, has followed through with that and you know specifically for us we don't have any uh, specific camps that we put on and host but we do host Snow Valley Basketball School on campus at Warford and with that uh, they just announced that they're going to be canceled and you know that's a pretty big camp that's going to have a significant significant impact uh, we usually have around 1400 to 1500 kids uh, that are there for that those four sessions that they have and uh, not only for Snow Valley but for Warford being the host of that uh, there's some pretty significant impact that that has uh, you know on, on our college in general uh, but also on the people that run Snow Valley too so uh, the camp side of things is definitely a lot it's freeing up coaches with a lot more time I guess because they are working a bunch of camps uh, but also uh, the networking side of things that goes with camps is really, really important. And, you know, we, with Snow Valley Basketball School, we host uh, we host guys from all over the country. Uh, and with that, the, the guys that come in, you know, you get a chance to talk to them throughout the year and get a chance to follow up with them on how their season they're going. And you get a chance to, you know, follow along with what they're doing and develop some relationships with potentially guys that you can recruit, recruit and potentially guys that, I could come into your program. And so for us, just from a, I guess, networking from a, you know, potentially recruiting standpoint, uh, there's going to be some, some impact there. I'm not saying that we have a ton of kids that we recruit that way, but it definitely does have an impact as well. So, uh, you know, the networking side of things is, is big too. And I, uh, you know, obviously just continue to maintain the connections that we've had from previous years of camp and guys that we would potentially see this year and get a chance to catch up with during, uh, during the camp when we host them. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be impacted a little bit in that regard, uh, and the professional development. You know, the thing that I've been trying to do more so is there's a lot of online clinics going on between 
Uh, the NABC uh, is putting them on. There's different outlets that are putting on clinics and we can do Zoom meetings and you can learn and you can, you know, just get a chance to, to bounce ideas off of people. And so I've been trying to tune into as many of those as I could in the time that we have. So uh, definitely a significant impact, no question, uh, on everything that everybody's doing. And, uh, you know, hopefully on the back end of things, everybody comes out all right with it, which I think we will. Uh, and hopefully everybody's able to bounce back next year with their camps and getting them back into the numbers that they had and, you know, continuing to build off of what they had previously. Shout out Addy Steggy for making her way on to the podcast tonight. This just, just goes to show you that real life just does not stop just because it's time to record the podcast. So we can might as well, might as well call her our fourth host. She's been on a couple episodes in the last couple of weeks. So shout out Addy. Um, I'll, I'll kind of go along with what Jason was saying. The, the networking part, I will say a, a big part of me choosing Warburg as a high school kid was my um, familiarity with, with Warburg because of snow Valley. You know, I'm not saying, like Jason said, it's the reason I chose, but that's a great way to get to know the campus, to get to know the coaches, um, facilities, that kind of thing. Um, and plus, there's always some other Warburg people. You know, I know when I was a, a player, you know, I got to, to still help out in the summer. So, you know, you can kind of get to know some of your teammates or potential teammates, too. So, yeah, it's, you know, it may not feel like it's a, a big networking opportunity, you know, by and large, but... I would say from my perspective, it did become a pretty important thing for me to, to be, you know, on that campus and learn what that's like. And, and again, with the facilities and coaches and players and that kind of thing too. Yeah, it definitely is a big benefit. Uh, you know, not only as a player, but getting a chance to meet so many different people. There's coaches that come in from different countries. There's coaches that come in from all over the U S uh, you know, so you get to develop some relationships with those people that, uh, you normally wouldn't potentially be able to do. It's definitely one of those things where you face name recognition. Obviously, you're able to, you know, once you kind of know and experience it, it, de it definitely makes a, it's just marketing. I mean, it makes a huge, they don't really, it doesn't matter how good you are at something if somebody doesn't know about you. And so, um, perfect example, obviously, with the Warburg campus and, and how great it is in those facilities too. I mean, you go and able to spend some time there, like you said, Lee, and, uh, it's easy to fall in love and it definitely works in your advantage uh, without having to do a whole lot. So that's, that's definitely good. And like you said, I think the biggest thing is if we can write off this year, then let's do it and make sure that we're ready to go next year. I think from a total business standpoint, I mean, it's about holding everything together here uh, through the last six months of the year and just hoping that 21 is, is a little bit more of a normalcy and everybody we can go full throttle in 21. But uh um, Lee, with that, let's transition over to the high school side of things. And um, what kind of impact uh, are you guys anticipating? Um, obviously, a lot of changes. Um, but, it, you know, with the football being kind of the, the big bell and um, bringing in, you know, I know a, a good majority of your guys' gate and concessions and stuff. What, what are you guys going to see or what are you anticipating if, if things aren't at full capacity? The biggest thing with high school sports is the money, the stuff that you talk about with other sports isn't the top priority. You know what? An educational athletic program, you know, the, the things that are most important, you know, money probably doesn't find its way to the top, except when you talk about being 
purely honest about the whole situation, there are a few sports that really do fund uh, the rest of, of our sports that maybe don't make as much money. So to say it doesn't have an impact and that money isn't a factor in, in those sports is not true. And in the biggest part for, for us with this um, isn't just the, what does football do, but what about the other revenue streams? And you talk about a high school athletic program and I'll talk specifically about Indianola's. It is three forms of revenue. The first one is gates, as you referred to. The second one is, is advertising our marketing uh, at our different events. And then also our, our booster club is, you know, a humongous part of what we do. So it isn't just football that's up in the air. It's the advertising marketing that's up in the air. You know, can our booster club, which, you know, a, a big chunk of what they do comes from a golf tournament in late August and then three youth basketball tournaments, one in November, one in December, and one in January. And Brian, you've been to, to some of our basketball tournaments, and you know, we're blessed with really nice facilities, uh, probably facilities that most other schools could not put on a, a tournament like we do, especially in one day. Um, you know, that's, a, that's a big uh, question mark as to can we continue to do these things, um, which in case you know, we – we don't know what we're going to be looking like financially. So again, it isn't the first thing we think about, but if it's not something that we think about, you're crazy and you're kind of missing uh, the point with all this. Yeah. Right. I, obviously it's not about the money, but it, it takes money to be able to have these other programs or to have any program for that matter. And so it's just a matter of making sure that obviously the income is going to be able to support what needs to be on the output. And like you said, I mean, for some of these programs, like a golf program that still needs to get to their meets and still needs to do all that stuff, they're not taking a gate. They're not bringing in money, but uh, you know, those programs are just good for the, the, the community and the school as a, as a whole. Well, I think uh, another big part, you know, something that, you know, we take a lot of pride in is that we don't generally have to tell, our coaches know might have to tell them wait a year but when you're talking about things that they need for their program you know we are able to to give them those things because we have those different revenue streams and you know we want to make sure that our kids and our programs have the best for what they're trying to accomplish and that really does make it difficult when you don't know what that's going to look like i mean even this summer with baseball softball we're not going to have a gate we're going to have a free will donation box as people walk in. You know, we're trying to, to take care of our gate workers too, so they don't have to touch every single person that walks in. They don't have to interact with every single person. But at the end of the day, we still have to pay for umpires. You know, and you talk, you have baseball, softball um, at your place on a, on a single night. I mean, you're already close to $600 in the hole just paying those umpires. So you have 10 home dates and 600 bucks a piece, there's six grand that you've got to try to find a way to make up. So, you know, again, as I alluded to earlier, it isn't just about the money, but it is a big part of what we do to, to try to make it the best for our kids and our programs. And I think you mentioned it. I mean, programs at your size and obviously many across the state, um, 
are are going to more more than likely find a way and have a surplus and are going to be just fine. It'll be interesting to see with some of these smaller schools and smaller programs that you know maybe have been struggling for years. Uh, how they're going to survive. And I think that's business-wide. I mean, you, you take a look at the big companies that have a surplus, they're obviously going to be fine. It's going to be some of those smaller ones who have been, um, you know, barely getting by and uh, now use Corona as a good excuse and might be able to time to close the doors, which reminds me of the other business in Indianola that I wanted to bring up, Lee, was that uh, sporting goods store in the old uh, family video. Did they, pull, did they shut it down? I haven't heard that. Did they? It looked like there was nothing in there when I went by tonight. Well, maybe they just had a really good day. Yeah, maybe they just sold everything in the last so, like, Yeah, you know, with baseball, softball starting, maybe they couldn't keep everything in stock. It, it looked more like an empty family video than it did a sports star when I went by. Oh, that's too bad. That's a nice little addition to the town. Yeah, it's. T- I mean, and that's the perfect. I mean, that's a. That's not been an easy go with online sales and and other big box stores. And now all of a sudden you have something like this, and it's, it's going to be tough. Um, be tough to recover from something like that. Um, as we flip over to the real estate side, we we've seen a little bit of a of an uptick as things have started to level off a little bit. Um, it's a little crazy because a, a few numbers here. So in the last seven days, we've had in our market, we've had 444 properties go pending um, and only 386 come onto the market. So we have a surplus of buyers that have just been sitting around waiting um, to buy and are now getting to the point where um, things are going. And usually it's the other way. Usually it's closer to even where we have a lot of people that are ready to list and coming on the market. Um, and so you usually see more coming on the market this time of year and even a month earlier. And so it'll be interesting because I think eventually uh, you're going to see a little bit of a flip um, and people are going to start listing or coming on the market or seeing their neighbor down the street sell for uh, a good price or in a good timeline. And uh, then they're going to come on the market and then we'll probably see that flip around and start to start to build our inventory back up. But right now we're just so thin on an inventory side. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. Still, still a lot of questions up in the air. Obviously when you're talking about buying a house, um, it's a significant investment. And so uh, you got to make sure everything's good um, on the job front. And so we're definitely still battling that. What are you seeing from a construction standpoint? Are you seeing construction companies kind of in a holding pattern? Are you seeing uh, spec homes not being built anymore? Are you seeing uh, people just kind of, I guess construction company just kind of waiting it out to see what's going to happen here and then dive back into it hopefully here in a little while. It's a little bit of everything. And so new construction had slowed down prior uh, to the whole shutdown and everything just, it, you know, maybe more so in our area just because of land um, and where things are at um, all the good lots and everything have, are pretty much bought up. And so we've seen a couple builders pull out of our market altogether. Some national builders have pulled out. Um, some other ones are coming in and so there's still some opportunity there, but new construction has definitely slowed down, but I think it's, it's, it's interesting to see where some of them, some people are, are putting the brakes on and then some people are going after it. You know, it's one of those deals where, you know, in a, in a tough time, um, you either accelerate or you hit the brakes. And, and that's what we're seeing a lot on the, on the new construction side where um, some people are taking advantage and going out and maybe scooping up a, four, a few more lots or, or trying to get a few more uh, foundations in the ground and, and try to be ahead of everything. And other people are just living a little more cautious. 
Brian stopped by our house tonight as he was leaving town after he was doing some real estate stuff here. And he was the one that, you know, helped sell our house in Norwalk and then helped buy our house in Indianola. And, you know, he hasn't been back to, to our house since. And the neighborhood is, is a lot different than, than it was when we bought our house. It was basically just four or five houses total in this little neighborhood. And um, they, there are five houses being currently built. And then I saw them pouring foundation for two more today. So again, I think a lot of that is because there is space here and there are lots for people to buy or builders to buy. And Jerry's Homes is a big one. Uh, that's who built our house and that's who's building all the houses here. But they have not slowed down this entire time. They've been, they've been putting a lot up, at least in our area. I think it'll be interesting too, uh, as you mentioned, just your area. So Indianola, obviously still considered part of the metro, but a little bit further out. Um, it'll be interesting to see with a lot more of this work from home um, and some of these opportunities, if people are more apt to spread out a little bit, you know, and go, go south to an Indianola or go, um, you know, west to Adel or, or Van Meter or go out, you know, a little bit further around the metro area. Um, you know, same thing too, obviously in the Cedar Valley area too, maybe see a spike in, in home sales in Denver or whatever it is. Like you might have some people who are just trying to get away a little bit more um, given the current circumstances. So it'll be interesting. Um, obviously the, the home, the home market usually follows um, the stock market and what's going on. And um, if you're making money, then you're buying and selling houses. And so, We'll just see. Uh, obviously, the stock market's a little bit interesting right now with that continues to climb on businesses that some aren't even open. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if anybody knows. And we certainly don't claim to be experts, but we're observant enough to know what's going on. So um, with that, I want to uh, transition over. We haven't done a chip in of the week um, for quite a while uh, to spotlight a business, a local business. Um, and so this week I want to, want to shout out, want to do our chip in of the week goes to Boz Prince. Um, Boz Prince is a print shop down in, in Valley Junction who actually on Monday, I believe celebrated, um, their one year anniversary of, of having a storefront of being a brick and mortar, um, business. And, um, if you haven't experienced or haven't been down to Boz Prince, it's, it's a really neat, um, local print shop, uh, as I mentioned down in Valley Junction that has just some cool, iconic, prints and logos of different things around um the des moines area um from from biking trails to to bars to they have a really cool actually waveland print down there too um uh and just some really cool stuff and so just a little little shout out to them um through a friend i i know the owner of that business and um i know that they are they're a positive change not only down in valley junction but in our community so uh if you get an opportunity Swing down to Boz Prince in, in Valley Junction. We've done some unofficial chip-ins of the week in the last uh, few podcasts. I think uh, they weren't local, but I think we gave a little Hooters shout-out last week. So that used to be a local business. Used to be. Now it's a Jethro. Jethro's taken over. That's not a bad change, I don't think, but it was kind of nice. It was kind of nice to have that Hooters around. I like the food. I'll be completely honest. I'm down with the food, too. Jethro's boneless dry rub wings, though, I could go for some of those real fast. So there's a, um, a Jethro's South that's going up. Um, 
at the, in the old Orlando's spot down there on Park Avenue. Um, Lee, you might know where I'm talking about. Um, but uh, I went by that a few weeks back and it was right on the bike trail. That's the big draw for that. Um, I loved, loved Orlando's. Their pizza was phenomenal. It's sad to see that go, but uh, that Jethro's down there on the south side is pretty sweet too. Sweet little patio and stuff. And so we'll, we'll always shout out some, some Jethro's too. Are they going to have a theme like the other ones? Do you know, have any idea? I'm sure that they do. Obviously, they all do. I don't know what theirs is, so I don't know what their what their difference is. Um, they got to be running out of options. I mean, they have pork chop, they have bacon, they have Cajun Lake House, they have whatever happened to Jethroni pepperoni thing still out there? Is that no. just a bad business idea? Bad bad move on that one. That uh, that was not. Uh, I think they'll admit to that too. That was not good. Did not go well. And they pulled out of that real quick. So credit, credit on the pivot on that one. Awesome name though. Jethroni pepperoni. <laughs> All right. Well with that, let's transition over to uh, golf. All right. That's the, that's the thing. That's our topic that we, we love to talk the most about. Um, and with that, we've had, uh, we've had a couple, a, a good string of guests on here lately. Um, what do you guys think? What are some of your takeaways uh, from the last couple of guests that we've had on? You know, the last two, you know, specifically that are, are golf guys, if you can call somebody that. I mean, their golf stories were phenomenal. And I almost feel bad that we couldn't just sit here and talk for longer and let them tell stories. You think about the the way that Derek was able to relate it to people that we think are just humongous stars in the game of golf. I mean, that, that Bubba Watson, Ricky Fowler, fake hole in one story was my, my favorite story out of anybody's that's told us any on here. But then you listen to, to Todd last week and just talk about the places he's been. And of course I'm a little partial cause he dropped my favorite golf course of all time uh, in one of his stories, but, you know, you listen to those guys that's life has revolved around the game of golf one way or another, and you just find out how fascinating their stories are because they've seen so much. So those two, but then when you throw in, you know, the guys that we've, you know, got to know over the years, you know, a lot of that is, you know, basketball wise, but that have found a, a big love for the game of golf. I mean, Jordan, you know, with, the places he's been business wise and, and could talk about these different courses that maybe we have no idea about. I mean, the times that they can tell stories where we're laughing and, and we were there and it's really funny. I mean, those are always fun to, to talk about, but when you hear the other stuff that, you know, you don't have a clue about, I think that just makes the story for, for us and the listeners just so much more impactful because, you know, you wouldn't know that stuff either way. Yeah. I think that, you know, obviously, like you said, Jordan and Big Schmitty, I mean, those guys, a lot of their stories were we've been either a part of or been around for, uh, and so we could really, really relate to them. And, you know, when you, you bounce over to Derek and Todd, uh, you know, those guys, we're kind of living vicariously through them with their stories and trying to put ourselves in their shoes or uh, in that group or in that pairing that they were with or force or whatever they were doing, uh, and just kind of, you know, kind of put ourselves in their shoes and see what they're doing. Uh, and learn about, you know, their path uh, in the game of golf and how they've transitioned to business and, uh, you know, just learning more about what they're doing. And, 
know, you touched on the fake hole in one story. I mean, that is that is just great stuff there. And obviously Derek's most recent one with Joel Damon and his 58 on the course. I mean, you know, who would have ever thought that that would ever come about from a round of golf that they were playing? They kind of started out pretty pretty casual, I think, and then they realized how good he was going about hole well, 13, 14 in there and, uh, you know, had something to do, a chance to do something special. And then you throw in there, you know, Todd with the, the stories of him bouncing around from a few different places. And, uh, you know, I, I really kind of grasped onto him being down in the St. Louis area and he talked about the Zoysia grass and how it was idiot proof. Uh, and I just kind of laughed because I've had a chance to play on some of that stuff and, uh, you know, experience what it was like and how it goes dormant and uh, some of those situations. So I think their stories have been really, really insightful uh, into the game and, you know, their past and, you know, what it takes to potentially try to play in college, potentially try to go through Q school uh, and then work their way up on the business side of things too. Yeah, I love the, obviously the stories and um, that Derek told us and us being able, obviously guys that we know from a distance or guys we watch on TV, it's just like, that's always you know, a little bit of an eye opener. So to be able to hear some of those behind the curtain stories of what's going on on tour and these guys grinding it out uh, was definitely awesome. And then for, for Todd, just hearing the technical side of the swing and teaching the swing and some of the things that he talked about um, was really fun. I mean, like you mentioned, Lee, I mean, it was something that we could have talked to those guys um, for another couple hours and just continued to go on. And, and obviously as we move forward to, we'll, uh, we'll circle back around. I mean, we try to cover so much in such a small time. I mean, we try to learn a bit of a little bit about where they're from and, and talk about where they're at now, but uh, yeah, we'll just have to pick a few stories and I imagine both those guys will come back on and, and just kind of shoot the shit with us. So, um, so one other thing that we have going, big news, huge news here. We're, we're down to the sweet 16 in our best nickname in golf bracket. And we got some heavy hitters um, in this bracket. Lee, uh, Lee, what jumps out to you here so far? And this is kind of your baby here. So what, what are you seeing? What are you loving? Well, you know, there's, we've talked about some names in here that, you know, it's hard to seed them. I mean, that's the toughest part about this whole thing is trying to figure out where you put different people. And, and again, it isn't just career. It's, it's how cool we thought their nicknames were. So when you look at the sweet 16 that we have left, there are some big names and some really fun nicknames left. But then, you know, you look at those, that first uh, region that, that we have, uh, the PGA championship region, you know, there's, there's a nine and a 13 seed still left, you know, and they'll, they'll tackle each other here in the next round. So like, you can't really predict, you know, just like any tournament, you know, it isn't, I know it's not them actually doing something to, to play against the other, but you know, there are some, you know, the slow motion and two chips. I mean, that is two, two names that I didn't see very high and they you know slow motion took out the king you know that's uh i mean if you're gonna be a golfer and they call you the king i mean i don't know how you can go wrong but brian you talked about it before slow motion was one of your favorites and he's still uh still going strong sweet 16 holding on man i tell you what that uh um that'll be a good one obviously with a with a nice upset um, I, I think that the, the, the matchup, though, for the ages has got to be Tin Cup versus Tiger. And yes, I, know, 
I know that we've talked about the tiger thing and like what comes with that and trying to remove yourself from who tiger is. But I mean, you got a catcher who had a pitcher who had a major league curve in high school versus the cat and tiger woods. I don't know. Well, you know, you, you mentioned slow motion. Remind me again, who is the nickname for Don January? Yeah, obviously. I mean, that's exactly who I would have thought if you was. I have I have a Don I have a Don January autograph somewhere, right next to my Billy Casper autograph, who Buffalo Bill taken down by Tin Cup in the last round. But I went to a, a senior PGA event in the Twin Cities. Oh man, I was probably ten years old or something like that. And of course, I have no idea who these guys are. Really, the the one guy I remember there was was Raymond Floyd but then the other ones my dad is telling me about when we're there oh Don January Bill Billy Casper I'm like, okay that's cool you know and Jason when we played golf a couple weeks ago I showed you that golf ball I found uh you know on I think it was on the range at blank I sorry blank golf course I took a ball from your range uh yo it was a Billy Casper golf ball from like you know 40 years ago and like that you know, obviously at some point, like those guys were really good golfers too, but yeah, slow motion. When I saw Don January, I mean, I'm guessing he was near the end of his career because he was pretty old then. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say this, looking down at the British Open region, I don't know if that's where you were going, Jason, or not, but that British Open region, I know it's all flush, right? It's one through four um, on the seedings, but not only names, but but the actual players down in that region. I mean, from a fanfare side of things, I don't know. I mean, how are you, how are you going to pick between Boom Boom and the Black Knight, and then Long John and Walrus? I mean, that 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 lined up real nice. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how the how the fans and the Twitterverse and the Facebook polls how they turn out for those. You know this. The thing that I was looking at, you know, you're looking at your, your, uh, I guess, left side of the bracket as it's set up. You got your PGA Championship region, your, your U.S. Uh, Open region, and you, know, you have upsets there. You have lower seeds advancing. Uh, so on that side of it, you know, your top two seeds left, your Tin Cup is a one and El Nino is a two. And then the rest, you know, could potentially make it to the final four. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. And then on the, the right side, you have all chalk. Masters region, one, two, three, four, and you have British Open region, one, two, three, four. Uh, and with those top four seeds advancing in those two regions, you have some darn good nicknames uh, in there. And I, I'm just intrigued as how this will play out. Like you said, 10 cup versus Tiger. That thing could be as close as it gets. There have been some pretty close uh, voting going on, but that thing could be as close as it gets. And, you know, I was a little partial to – I know one of our followers there, shout out John Trost, Chucky Three Sticks bowed out in the round of 32 and a close 51 to 49% uh, loss there. And, you know, some of those other small, small risks versus walrus. And, you know, I had to go with walrus in the voting there. And it was pretty dominating fashion. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how things kind of shake out here because you got some lower seated guys with some great nicknames on the left hand side. And then you got the all chalk on the right hand side to see who prevails. It'll be fun. Yeah, the seating committee uh, definitely did not uh, did not peg the uh, left side of the bracket, but the seating committee got the right side of the bracket down. 
I mean, that's very apparent with what's left. Well, that's the best part every year, you know, a bracket-style uh, tournament is to, to criticize the seating committee. And I thought the seating committee, Lee, did a pretty good job with that. But, you know, there are some questionable ones that I you know, could have been better. I, I do want to note, too, um, some people, as far as when we're going through and, and tallying these up, that we are taking into account both the Twitter and the Facebook polls. And we talked a little bit before, before jumping on here how crazy it is that on one side there'll be a huge winner, a 70 to 30 type of win, and then you flip over to the other um, social media and it's 70, 30 the other way. It's just wild on how the results have worked out that way. I might fire up a couple burner accounts on Twitter just to swing the votes in my way. This two-pup podcast is brought to you by WB Realty, Central Iowa's best real estate brokerage. WB Realty, for all your real estate needs. All right, so obviously our great state of Iowa has a ton of really great golf courses. Um, obviously, we all is going to say that is Iowa's number one golf podcast. Um, but, with, but with that, too, um, I, I tweeted out a stat. Well, I might have to have the research department take a look at it. Um, a, Iowa actually has the most nine-hole golf courses uh, in the country. Um, I'll grab that number as we kind of talk through this, um, um, just to kind of go over that. But, uh, Lee, what have, what, have, what have been some of the courses that you've played in our state that uh, maybe, maybe ranked somewhere towards the top of your list? Um, obviously we talked about the nasty nine and we know that has a, has a dear place in your heart, but, uh, um, what are, what are some of the other ones that maybe we haven't quite got to on the pod yet? So I would say my two favorite 18 hole courses in Iowa are legacy and TCI. And I probably mentioned that before. Uh, I just like those courses. I like legacy from a playability standpoint. Uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a really nice course, but it's also very easily played. You don't have to know a ton about the course before you play it the first time. I mean, there's obviously always those little ins and outs that you learn along the way, but that one I, I really enjoy. And then TCI, you know, kind of the opposite. You know, it's, it is difficult to play the first time you play it, but the views on that golf course and some of the shots you have to hit to play a good round uh, make those um, make that course towards the top of my list for sure. It's just so beautiful. Nine hole golf course, you know, besides the nasty, um, the uh, I, I put this on Twitter or sorry, Facebook when, when we had had that post on there a while ago, Prairie Rose golf course or club or whatever it's called. And I think it's Brunsville, Iowa. I played it uh, for a Lamar's high school basketball uh, golf outing uh, when I was teaching in Whiting. That nine-hole golf course is amazing. It is in perfect shape. And I haven't played it now in, you know, probably 10 years. I have no idea what it's like now. But those, those greens, I mean, you could spin that, that ball over the place and – you don't see that a lot of on nine hole golf courses. You're just used to, Oh, I better land this thing about 10 yards short. Cause it's going to bounce forward and just keep going. You almost have to play it like you're 
70 years old and run everything up there, but it was so much different than most of the nine hole golf courses I've ever played. And, you know, I've played a lot of nine hole golf courses in, in Iowa. I think probably many more than I would an 18 hole golf course. Cause there are a lot more. Um, but those I would say are my three favorites. I'd say underrated. Uh, one course that sticks out in my mind is, is rice Lake, uh, which is in Lake Mills. We played the conference golf tournament there when I was a sophomore in high school. And I've played it some other times growing up in the, the North Iowa Junior Golf Association playing, playing there. It is, it's kind of a diamond in the rough. Like it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, again, haven't played it in a really long time. I'm going to play it this summer at some point just because I'm going to get back up to that area and see if I can play some, some courses that either I haven't played in a while or um, have never played before. So that one, and it is an 18-hole course. I mean, it is a nice golf course that I don't think a lot of people, if you're not from that area, probably have played or would even think about playing. So that one, I would say, is definitely one of the, the underrated on my list. Yeah, you bring up some, some good courses, I obviously have mentioned there. And we were talking a little bit about this before we actually jumped on here and I know maybe lead in, add up all of his, but I, I was kind of trying to go back through and think about all the courses that I've played. And I know there's, we were talking about a 390 some, 396 courses uh, in the state of Iowa that you can play, it sounds like, publicly. Uh, and I was kind of tallying up some of my totals and I have a long ways to go. I think I'm at 51 total. Uh, I had 36 different 18 hole courses and 15 different nine hole courses. I uh, that I had at least played. And that was kind of what I remember just kind of jumping back through, but a couple of courses that I guess 18 hole, that would be my favorite. Uh, I'm a big fan of spirit hollow in Burlington or uh, yeah, down in Burlington. Uh, that was one that I haven't played it for a few years here. Uh, they've done some renovations, uh, but that was one of the ones that I really enjoyed having an opportunity to play. And then also uh, in Cedar Falls, Beaver Hills country club. Uh, is one of my favorite in the state uh, and you know harder to get onto uh, and things like that but definitely one of the courses that you know I just love the layout of the course and I think that you know there's not two holes that are completely the same and uh, I just think that that's a, a great setup for that course and something that I've really enjoyed the opportunities that I've had to play there. Uh, nine hole courses a couple come to mind uh, one in Williamsburg Stone Creek had a chance to play a number of years ago and I know that that's always one of the more popular nine hole courses in the state uh, to talk about to play if you have an opportunity to do so but always in fantastic condition and I uh, had loved the rounds that I had played there uh, and then also was just kind of buzzing through some of these nine hole courses uh, but Tara Hills uh, down in the Van Horn area uh, is one that is kind of out in the middle of nowhere that I uh, had the opportunity to play here recently as well and uh, you know really enjoyed that setup too and it's always you know it had good reviews in regards to playing too so those I think are a couple of the ones that uh, you know I really enjoyed playing. Uh, when you talk about underrated you know that's I think that's kind of hard to, you know, say because everybody's obviously got the ones that they like best. But, you know, from my top list, I think, you know, looking at Beaver Hills, I think it's underrated, too, when you have an opportunity to play it. You know, yeah, it's one of my favorite, but also I just think that it doesn't get 
the notoriety that it, it deserves in terms of, you know, the shape that that thing's in all the time. And, uh, you know, like I said, the layout. So I think that's one of the more underrated from the courses that I've had an opportunity to play. And we talked about this. I kind of laughed because I, you go west of I-35 and I've played less than five courses west of I-35. Everything I've played has been in the northeast to central to, you know, southeast part of the state. So I need to, I guess, broaden my horizons and get over to the west side of the state. Yeah, you do. There's uh, some good golf over on that side. Not that I can speak to very much, though. That's for sure. I, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, we're all, that's the one thing. I mean, obviously, Lee spent some time out in Western Iowa, but we've all kind of been relatively in the same areas. And so we kind of have um, a little bit of the same list going through. Jason, maybe a little bit more Eastern Iowa uh, than Lee and I. But uh, yeah, so I went through and I tallied mine up. And from what I could remember, I'm at 42 um, courses right now. So uh, likewise, I have a, have a little ways to go. Um, my my favorite, as I probably alluded to pretty easily on the last pod, is obviously going to be Des Moines Golf and just the condition and um, the playability. I mean, it's something that uh, uh, if I had to pick one, I guess I'd probably go North Course or the Championship Course if I really got to cheat and pick the Solheim Course. But um, it just the condition, but also the playability of it. I mean, it's something where um when I had the opportunity to play out there I played a lot with a lot of older um guys and watching those guys hit and run hybrids up on the green and um you know it's it's just fun it's fun for all those guys I mean it's a challenge obviously for them and the greens are a challenge um but there isn't a lot of forced carries and so those guys can hit those types of shots and then if you are going after pins and you're going to get punished as well and so uh, it just, it just a lot of fun, um, playable, obviously super, super gorgeous out there. So that, that, that definitely is a little bit, um, of, of the appeal as well. Uh, from a nine hole side of things, obviously the Homer vote is, is the Algona country club. Um, obviously the course I grew up on and I, I don't know if we talked about it on the pod or not, but it's definitely something that I didn't appreciate as much, um, growing up as I probably should have from our architectural side of things. Um, super neat course, uh, actually designed by Willie Dunn Jr., um, who uh, was the designer on Shinnecock as well, and a lot of other courses in New York. So to think about um, a guy like him, and I don't know the whole story, and that might be for another pod if we can, if I can do some digging on how you get him to Algona, Iowa, to design a, a nine-hole course. Um, no idea. I mean, this guy went from what he he got second in the 1895 U.S. Open um, to designing, I think, his first course, or I don't know if it was his first or not, nine-hole course in Algona. And so I just just like the, the fact that no hole is the same. Obviously, in Iowa, we have a lot of, lot of those field courses where you're kind of back and forth. And um, so the fact that that was my home course and I've got to play as many times, that's definitely my favorite nine-hole course. Uh, from an underrated uh, standpoint, staying actually up in the Algona area, I think Spring Valley um, would be my underrated course. Uh, Lee, I know we've played it. I don't know, Jason, have you been to Old Livermore and had a chance to play Spring Valley? I have not. Uh, obviously, it's like you mentioned, it's tough with the underrated because they are hosting state events and um, to the point now where a lot more people know about it. Um, shout out Dallas Clark, too. He's helped a, a big time on that, too, um, with his his golf um, outing and foundation event that he holds there each summer. And so that is the 
definition of a diamond in the rough. I mean, you are, you've no idea where you're at. It just looks like Iowa. And then all of a sudden you come kind of up over this little hill and you just see this beautiful 18 hole course sitting on the side of the road that, you know, it doesn't look like it's supposed to be there. And it is family owned and operated. Um, they've done just an amazing job. It's a fun course. It's a fun layout. Um, it's just a, just a lot of fun to play. And so that's definitely probably tossed my list of underrated. I will, I will also say though, I think again, going from that, um, maybe overlooked standpoint, Waverly, Waverly municipal course from a fun playability side, um, and just some of the hole designs and some, I mean, obviously there's some quirkiness and stuff out there, but that's a, that's a nice 18 hole course. And when you think about having that right in the middle of town, essentially, and then Prairie Links. I mean, Jason, you're spoiled too a little bit with having two nice 18-hole courses right there in Waverly. Yeah, I didn't want to be called a homer when it came to some of this stuff. So uh, I I love playing. Uh, I play most of the time at Prairie Links, but uh, I love playing the municipal course. There's one hole that's got my number, hole two, maybe the hardest par three in the state. Uh, I mean, it it just eats you up. But that course is, it's a fun course to play by yourself. It's a fun course to play in a best shot tournament because, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to risk reward shots and, you know, try to drive par fours. Uh, I've had the opportunity. I, I like to play with a buddy in a, a superintendent's revenge where they do nine holes easy with easy pins and then they, you know, make nine holes really hard with the hardest pins out there that they can get. And, uh, you know, move the tees back. And that's one of the fun tournaments I play there. So it's definitely one that, you know, fortunate enough to have it in my backyard that they can have an opportunity to play. And, you know, then you go to play Prairie Links too, and they're completely different styles of golf courses. And so it's nice to have variety uh, as well here and have an opportunity to play. But when you brought up the Muni, I, I kind of had a little smile because I, I, I enjoy that course a lot too. It's one of the other things too here in central Iowa that we're, I mean, from a golf standpoint too, we're obviously very spoiled. Um, you know, as I mentioned, obviously Des Moines golf, but you know, Glen Oaks, uh, Tom Fazio design course. I mean, that course from a fun standpoint, is probably one of my favorite courses just to play. Um, does get beat up a little bit more just with it uh, being the only 18, but uh, you know, Lee mentioned TCI, um, Wakanda. I mean, we just, we're, we're spoiled around here as well. And then you have Otter and Legacy, and then, um, you know, one of the special courses in the state is the Talons of Tuscany, which, you know, I'm sure a lot of people know or have heard about, or maybe they don't. I mean, it's one of those things that obviously uh, Denny Abba's um, privately owned course. Um, that's something special, too. I got an opportunity to play that last summer, and I believe, Jason, you had an opportunity to be out there. Um, it, I think once you get past the fact that, this is somebody's backyard essentially and start looking at it as a golf course. It's just, it's just mind boggling the whole time you're out there. I had the opportunity to play it. It's been probably 10, 12 years ago uh, that I had the opportunity to play it. And my understanding is it's undergone some renovations here uh, as well within the last probably five years or so. Uh, And, you know, when I played it, it was just kind of becoming a little bit more of, hey, you know, if you have an opportunity to play this course or are fortunate enough to be on it, uh, you have to take advantage of it. And I mean, we, that course, I was going to mention it, uh, but we were talking about, yeah, you know, courses that you could potentially play or easier to get on uh, and things like that. And that's one of the courses that if you have an opportunity to play it or are able to get on there somehow, it's just, 
it's so unique that not everybody can go out and play it. So you get a chance to play it, and it's always in great shape. I mean, that place has minimal ball marks. That place is immaculate. The greens out there was so impressive because, yeah, I mean, it's only taken maybe 25, 30 rounds a year um, on it, and so which is just wild to think about. And so, yeah, the greens are amazing. There's obviously some quirky holes and some stuff going on, but, I mean, no expense um, spared on that one. It's a, it's a fun, fun track and fun place to be. But uh, – uh, so obviously that might be on someone's bucket list. Obviously the Harvester, um, I know for sure on mine. Jason, you've have you played the Harvester? I have. I've played it a uh, three or four times. Uh, but I know that they also went under some renovations here within the last couple of years too. And so I haven't had a chance to play it since any of that's gone down. But I mean that course is also, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and feels like you're just dropped in there as well and you know is always in really really good shape and one of the best courses in the state and I uh, you know a fun course too to play uh, it's not one of my top three or four courses but it's still one of the top courses in the state gets a gets, gets a lot of pub so it'll be interesting to see it hard to live up to that hype I think at, at some level but uh so moving away from maybe some of the top courses, Lee, what do you have? Uh, what do you have on your bucket list as you start to look around the state a little bit? Is there something that you've seen or driven by a bunch that you're like, man, I just, I mean, it's probably super simple, but I want to get out there. Or what? What do you have that uh, you'd like to get on here in the next couple of years? I think two bigger name bucket list courses, at least, kind of within driving distance. Uh, Wisconsin would be. Uh, Aaron Hills and Whistling Straits, and I know that you you can get out there. Um, you've got to got to pay some money, but you know I I would say those two courses. If just just watching it, you know the the U.S. Open at Aaron Hills in person, Whistling Straits on TV, uh, they just it wouldn't be one of those things where I would bat an eye if I had an opportunity to to get on there and pay you know a little extra money than than I normally would. Um, but then there's another course um, in the Chicagoland area, Beverly Country Club. And I'm pretty sure it is where um, a guy I went to high school with. It's a, uh, an assistant uh, superintendent on. Um, I know I have a Beverly Country Club uh, polo. So I, I think that's where he was at. Uh, I think they've hosted some, some bigger uh, amateur tournaments. Um, and maybe more than that, I'm not exactly sure, but I've heard that, you know, just talking to Derek, that that course is beautiful. And he's like, you know, if you ever come out here, I'll get you on. And I just probably one of those things where you just, it's not as convenient. You just need to do it. So those three, I would say at least within driving distance that you could potentially get on, I think we could probably go those really big courses. You talk Pebble and Augusta and, and those types of of courses that you know are probably on everybody's bucket list but you know those three to me are are ones that I would love to just play even if it was just one time yeah I think you know talking in the midwest or you know things like that I'm, I'm going to take a little different angle of that and you guys were talking a little bit earlier you were talking about Spring Valley when I was thinking about this that was actually like in the state of Iowa a bucket list course for me because I've heard uh, such great things about the course you know I've never had the opportunity to go up there and play that but I've heard great reviews from 
you know, guys in my program that have played it uh, or people that I know that have played. And you guys obviously spoke very highly of it too. So that was actually one of the courses that I was thinking, yeah, I'd love to get up there and play that sometime uh, when I'd have an opportunity to do so. And then another one that is a little bit of a jaunt for me, closer for you guys, uh, but definitely a course that has been has been talked about. Uh, the Preserve at Lake Rathman is the one that I would like to go down and play. Never had the opportunity to get down there and play it, uh, but have been down there for a wedding. So I drove in and I'm like, God, this would be a fun course to play. And uh, so that's another one that if I'm talking about the state of Iowa and courses that I haven't had an opportunity to play, I think those are a couple that kind of are at the top of the list for me to try to get down there and play. Yeah, I agree. I've heard good things about the preserve as well. That would definitely be definitely be one that would be realistic to get down and play. Um, and Lee, to your point, I agree. I mean, as far as a proximity side of things, if you were able to go up to um, the Kohler area and hit Whistling Straits and Black Run and Aaron Hills and all, or is it Black Black Bear or whatever? Black I think Black, Black Wolf Front. Black Wolf Front. If you're able to hit that whole area, I mean, you could just that that part of um wisconsin i mean not that far of a drive you could you could get some big high level golf in there um for me for me i have a couple and jason you made me think of another one too actually over uh in uh, panora um i'd like to get over there i've heard some good things about panora uh as well and so i'd like to play that course but the one that came to mind for me right away was briggs woods um in in webster city just because it's a course that i've driven by countless times I mean hundreds of times and I've never had an opportunity to play so Briggs Woods is one of those little courses that's on my um on my bucket list too and then Lee you might be able to help me out with this I I just thought of it as you guys were talking there's a course up on the border of Iowa and Minnesota that I think it's called like Min Iowa yeah I've played it have you oh yeah so that's one – I'm trying to think of what highway that's off of, but it's on my – Well, it's in, it's in Elmore, Minnesota. Okay. And so it's on the way for, from Algona to Mankato. And so we used to always go up to Mankato quite a bit, um, shopping-wise or whatever it was. And so that's one of those courses that I drove by, and I knew that just would probably never be an opportunity. So, but I just remember being like, oh, it's Min-Iowa because it's like right on the border – um that would be one of those tracks that's like i mean why that's on my bucket list i don't know but uh, i've actually been a i've actually been a member at min iowa golf club really? so yeah it's it's only about um 10 or 15 minutes from blue earth where my dad lives minnesota so um i've been a member at blue earth you know as a kid a lot and then there were a couple of years where I think the price went up really high or, or something along those lines where, yeah, I played in a couple of club tournaments out at Min Iowa Golf Club in my day. I think I was in uh, like eighth grade, maybe. No, that's awesome. That's that, like I said, it's just one of those courses that driven by several times and was like, man, for whatever reason, I'd like to play that. Like I said, along with Briggs Woods going through my list too. one of the other things, um, trying to remember the courses that I played uh there used to be a golf course in Whittemore is Whittemore Country Club um that is no longer there now and so it's funny to think about that too if there's been a few courses um that you've played that are no longer courses uh in our state and 
And that was one of the other things too, I was going to look up. So the state of Iowa has 254 nine hole golf courses. Um, like I said, which is more than any other state, which is, which is pretty awesome. The, uh, the one area that I just kind of thought of as we were talking, you guys brought up talons of Tuscany and uh, Otter Creek. Well, Briarwood golf course is right there as well. You got three courses that sit, you know, basically on three sides of a stoplight from each other. Uh, and Briarwood is one of, you know, is one of the, my favorite courses to play as well. Uh, I have a buddy that lives on the course, have, has had an opportunity to play that a number of times, and that's one that I've always been very fond of in playing as well. Well, and then they have the Ankeny Country Club too. And so, I mean, which is a little bit more on the other side would be the west side of town. But there's a lot of, a lot of golf, like you said, in a small area. And I think that probably the – many people probably can't even separate what one's otter and which one's talons when you're driving down the interstate. Um, and like you said, Briarwood's right there. And so a little bit, a uh, little bit of a, a, a mini golf Mecca, I guess, up there in, in Ankeny with a lot of those, a lot of the courses that they have. But uh, you know, a, as a whole, I think the two things from this one that uh, we have a lot more courses that we have to uh, get an opportunity to get out and play um, hopefully with each other and then have to find a way to get out to Western Iowa and, and, uh, uh, see what, uh, see what's going on out there. So with that brings us to our last and probably our favorite segment of each of our podcasts that we do. Um, and I, I'm going to be honest with you guys, we're going to get to some point where me going through and trying to dig these up is going to become very difficult. But with that, I do think we have a good one tonight. Um, as we take a look, oh, we do have to recap real quick because both of us, all three of us, got smashed um, last weekend or last week in our uh, in our uh, Martin Keimer versus Jim Furyk. The 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 public definitely went with the popular vote on that one. Yeah, we uh, we were way off. I guess Todd, our guest, had it nailed to a T. I I thought, you know, I'm going into this thing. I'm thinking, I got, I've done some research. I've looked into this thing a little bit. I'm going to nail this thing, and uh, we got blasted. I think two things with this. One is Jim Furyk is an American, and I think that does make a difference because it's easy for us to attach ourselves to to American golfers. But then the other one we talked about in the podcast is purely name recognition. Jim Furyk, regardless of his career and maybe what could have been because he can play, you know, People know who Jim Furyk is. People don't know who Martin Keimer is for the most part. I mean, and if they had to pick between the two, you look at the names, it's pretty easy to pick Furyk, I think. Well, and one, uh, one listener said Mr. 58 easy, right? So, I mean, yeah. shout out, shout out Eric Lutz. He sent me a nice message this week. He enjoys the pod. Perfect. Love it. So no, it's good. It's fun. That's the whole part of it. So uh, with that, then let's jump into the night. Uh, like I said, I, I feel pretty good about this one. So we have uh, uh, Nick Price is our first golfer with 48 pro wins, 18 on the PGA Tour. Um, he's got three majors, two PGAs and a British um, versus Ben Crenshaw with his 30 pro wins, 19 on the PGA Tour, and he's got two majors in his two masters. Um, got a couple names. We got a couple big names in the golf world here. Uh, uh, Staggy, you starting us off tonight? Which way are you going? 
Well, let's see. Lee, Lee usually jumps into this one right away and gives us a detailed breakdown, and then we have to feed <laughs> off of it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fire back with going first here. And, you know, I didn't go into the research that I did last week. I mean, I felt like I had a peg, like I said last week, and that completely backfired. So I'm just looking at these two names, and I'm going with it. I don't even know if Nick Price has a nickname, but we got Gentle Ben on the other side. I uh, had the opportunity to see Gentle Ben in a practice round down in Augusta uh, for the Masters in 2015. Uh, you look at overall wins, that's something that as we've done this more and more, I've looked at that overall wins and I kind of throw that out the window because I, you know, European tour and other tours, and you typically see all the guys that are uh, from the United States, they're going to be on the PGA Tour wins. And a lot of the European players or whatever other players they are, they got a lot of other pro wins and that's on different tours. And uh, so I'm looking at this thing and I'm breaking it down. And yeah, Nick Price has one more major than Ben Crenshaw, but gentle Ben won two masters. And anytime you can slip the green jacket on twice in your career, uh, that's a tipping point for me. So I'm going with Ben Crenshaw uh, and just his, whatever it is, 29 less wins. Uh, pro wins and i'm gonna go with gentle ben all right well nick price okay three majors number one in the world for 44 weeks i will be 100 percent transparent i do most of my digging via the wikipedia machine um the the amount of information you can get on a thing is amazing, by the way, which I know we know that, but um, the stuff on there is incredible. But with that being said, as I dug through these guys' careers and I was on Wikipedia, and I know that Nick Price, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, because of his nationality, would not be eligible to play in the Ryder Cup. Is that correct? Get that right? I believe that's a good question. We'll have to kick it over to our So he's from he's from South South Africa, right? So they can't play in the Ryder Cup. Okay. Well, it says on Wikipedia that Price has expressed his distaste distaste for the Ryder Cup, saying of the event, if you like root canals and hemorrhoids, you'd love it there. I can't pick somebody that just hates the Ryder Cup like that. Like, I'm sorry, if he doesn't say anything about the Ryder Cup, I'm going Nick Price with the more majors and number one player in the world for, I mean, almost a full calendar year. Uh, but with that being said, I can't pick Nick Price and his distaste for the Ryder Cup. I'm going Gentle Ben, 16 seed, knocked off in the first round of the nickname bracket uh crenshaw career i'd rather have because nick price just couldn't shut his mouth see the way you started on this thing off i was hoping you were going to take nick price because you've had the tendency to be wrong more often than not on what everybody oh for sure for sure i was thinking gosh he's taking nick price and i am golden here gentle ben's going to come through at about 85 15 percent but who you got bc well, so as I take a look at these, obviously Ben Crenshaw is often referred to as one of the best putters in the game and how great he is at putting and, and all this stuff. But uh, 
he's also kind of one of the player, one of those what if players that you know did he really live up to his potential um and was he really you know the two the two majors both the masters obviously of course set up well for his game um versus nick price who obviously a big name a, a big name and obviously won a ton uh like you said spent almost a whole year at, at number one um and when we go to my normal kicker is obviously net worth and when we look at these guys i mean they couldn't be more similar obviously Ben Crenshaw does get the slight edge at 15 million on his net worth versus Nick Price's 12 million. And so, I mean, we're, we're right there. Uh, apples to apples on that. But um, for me, the, the kicker is going to be, so this is career. We're not, this isn't a golf career. It was specifically said that way. Um, the fact that now Ben Crenshaw is one of the most sought after course designers um, and has had an opportunity to put his fingerprint on a lot of um, uh, well-known courses out there and just has an opportunity because I think deep down that's one of the things that I would probably, if I could be more involved in the game of golf, would be on, on, on some sort of course design side of things. Um, with that and with that, I, I think that this net worth on $15 has got to be a little bit low. That's, that's pretty some of these courses and what he's turning out on it. Uh, ben Crenshaw, I mean, we're good with the sweep 3-0 tonight, gentle Ben. Well, we went – us three all picked the same dude last week and got absolutely blasted, so. We're not getting busted this week. I'll just tell you that. The, all you got to do is listen to the pod and don't just vote. If you have – I mean, we're, we're, we're hitting you with some facts here, guys. I always rely on BC for the monetary value here of their net worth. So, uh, the fact that it was close just gave me more – credibility for ben crenshaw i'd be surprised if nick price gets one vote on twitter really Some, yeah somebody, somebody's gonna just that, that listens is gonna say i'm throwing that baby on nick price just despite lee yeah well i'm gonna find out who that person is and i'm gonna mock them for the rest of the podcast put that put your money up man put your money up so, well, hey, guys, um, as we alluded to in the beginning, it felt like it's been a while. So it was fun to get an opportunity for the three of us to kind of chop it up a little bit. Um, talk about golf, talk about business, the, the two things that uh, we enjoy to do. And uh, had a lot of fun with you guys tonight. And, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to get on the links and uh, hit it here soon. Do either of you guys have uh, any, any golf plans this weekend? Nothing is set in stone for me. I'm kind of more just roll with the punches when it comes to that. And if I have an opportunity to get out, I can get out. But got a few th other things going on that I'm trying to take care of right now. So uh, I've been a little bit busy, but had a chance to play a couple days ago. Didn't play great. But, hey, I was out on the golf course and it was 85 degrees. I'm definitely playing. I told you guys in a text message. I made a vow. I'm playing at least one time a week for the rest of the year. So I'm going to figure out – a time and a place to play uh, probably this weekend. So I, I'm, I don't have anything set in stone like Jason, but I'm definitely getting out there. One, one more thing coming up. I mean, we got live golf here coming soon. We're going to be back on the links. We're going to have actual PGA Tour events going on. And, you know, we, hit, we cracked into the month of June, and I'm, I'm pumped about that stuff. We had a little live golf last weekend, uh, the three of us taking bets on what uh, Jordan's uh, was going to shoot while he was out for his round. 
Um, I'll definitely take a big win. Take a big win on predicting the 85 on that one. Uh, he three yaks the final hole has a chance to shoot 83. Like I picked and he three yaks. I'm pretty sure he did that on purpose. Absolutely. He saw what everybody had for picks and he's like, nah, Stagy's out. Nah, Lee, nah. I'm going to just going to pop a little three putt out there. He finished with the snakes if he was playing with somebody. Oh, good call. That's a lot of money. He is. He's the mayor of Snakesville. So love it. Got, <laughs> got, got in his own head. That's for sure. So, well, guys, hey, again, appreciate it. Uh, listeners hung on this long. We appreciate it. Uh, drop a five star wherever you listen to it. That uh, helps with the algorithm and, and allows people to see us. So just drop a review um, on there. Even if you don't think we're five star, just give us a five star anyway. Um, we appreciate you listening and uh, we'll catch you on the next tee.